I'll be reading Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 23. Matthew 25, 14 through 23. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The, mas- the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Thank you, Cole Graves. I never just call him Cole. I call him Cole Graves. It's just how we are. Cole, I will finish that scripture reading. I did not assign the the end of that for a reason. Um, I appreciate um, you not asking questions and just reading, going ahead and reading those first um, verses. We're excited about the opportunity this morning to talk about um, responding. Um, Our response, uh, respond is the um, theme for the year. And it is an opportunity for us to do something with, um, with our faith, with our gifts, with our abilities, with our opportunities. Um, God will present us and, and, and give us in due time, based on our gifts and abilities, opportunities to, um, to, to please him. And uh, we'll, we'll be responsible for what we do with those opportunities. Um, I'm excited for those who are watching online. We have a number who are, um, are unable to be with us live um, we have a few who are back for the first time. We're excited about having people back with us live. Um, so um, get on that um, Facebook site if you want to um, look at the comments, like, love, care, whatever the little um, emojis are. And if you don't know what an emoji is, good for you. Um, but um, respond to those people. Let them know we're, they're glad they're with us because you are with us. Even though you're not here in this building, you are with us. Um, it's exciting to see friends, to see family, to see visitors here with us and know that people are watching online. Um, we love to see family and friends. Um, some of us love to see strangers. I'm one of those guys. Um, if you've got a name tag on, I'm going to call you by name. Um, those poor people at Holiday World get it nonstop. I love talking to people at Holiday World because they're nicer than normal people. Um, Holiday World people are. They're paid to be nice. Um, they're paid to be nice there. Um, but it is, it is neat to be able to call someone by name and, and for a moment feel like you know each other. Um, not, and that's not for all of us. Some of us don't, um, don't talk to strangers. We were taught that in an early age, and so we've learned that. Um, but it's exciting to be with family and friends. We have another opportunity this evening to, to come back for our small group at 5 p.m. here at the building. Um, and in our small group guide and our connect question, I want to point out, um, we need to be careful if you choose not to participate in the connect question this evening. It says, remember, or it says, would you rather be forced to sing along or to dance to every single song you hear? Now, 
in heaven, we may not get a choice. So be careful how you think about that before you um, <laughs> say, well, I don't have to choose. Well, you may not get the choice. Um, I'm excited about heaven. We've been singing about it. We'll sing about it again before we close today. I'm excited about eternal song and dancing and being with those that we love and being with our creator. Um, I, th- I think we can get a taste of heaven on earth if we choose to be kingdom people. Um, I believe that um, we can look not only to family and friends, but to people that, um, that we don't know, strangers, as opportunities to show love, to share love, to respond to, um, to the excitement we have of eternity in heaven. As we should, what an opportunity to make new friends, to make new family eternally with people that we meet for the first time. Because we can look at them as people created by God for that sole purpose of going to heaven and being there with us and sharing a kingdom of experience here on earth. So if you're not friends or family here this morning and you're visiting or you're just, um, or you're listening online, we want you to be both friends and family and not just here on earth, but for eternity. We've been talking about success and failure the last few weeks. And we've talked about the failure for us to believe in a number of different things. And, and most of it has been about ourselves. And, um, and then we'll talk about um, our failures to believe in each other and, and, and some of the perspectives that we have in our faith. Um, there's a fine line between success and failure in our world. And it's, it's, a, it's a line that's full of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to be successful at all costs in our world. And I, I will say that God's uh, value of success and that line between success and failure is a lot different than our worldly one. Our worldly um, um, idea of what success and failure is is full of a lot more pressure than God's is. God takes care of all the success. God leads us toward what success looks like and gives us a clear image of what failure can be and gives us a choice. And he does all the work. All we have to do is put in the effort We don't even have to be successful at the level that everyone else is in their gifts, their abilities, but in our own giftedness, in our own abilities. In our in our scripture reading, it said that they gave them bags of gold and others too, entrusted them with this wealth according to his ability. God gives us opportunity according to our ability, and as we grow in those, as we transition, transform, and grow in our lives, God will bless us more. Not for worldly success may not even come with worldly success. God's blessings may make us a fool in this world, but that eternal success will be the blessing that we'll live with forever. There's been a, um, uh, uh, this viral sort of um, um, photo flowing around, and it's not this photo. It's, a, it's another photo of another set of runners that's mixed with the story, and I saw it online this week, and I got excited. I did a little research, and the story's true. The, the photo is wrong, but this is Ivan Fernandez, and in front of him is Abel Mutai, and um, Abel is um, a Kenyan runner, and in 2012, he was dominating the race. And um, as he's closing in on the finish line, he um, loses sight, he he gets confused, the signs don't make sense, the language is different, and he thinks he's crossed the finish line. I don't know if they had a big inflatable thing and letting them know they were getting close before the finish line, but when he crossed over that moment, he thought he was finished. So he let up in the race, and he began to sort of power down and jog into the finish. Ivan Fernandez was in second place behind him, and he noticed he thinks this race is over. So what he does is he guides him. He directs him. He gives him a nudge and pushes him towards victory. Where 
in worldly standards, finishing second is the first loser, right? And he could have just sped on by and said, hey, that's your fault. You should have known the rules. You should have read the signs. You should have understand the circumstances. But Ivan knew something. It wasn't his race to win. The winner was the guy in front of him, obviously, the entire race. And to honor not only the runner in front of him, but himself, his choice was to push the man, um, push Abel toward victory because it was Abel's victory to have. He said, my dream is that one day we can have some sort of community life where we push ourselves and others to win. Not just take victory for ourselves, but that we are in this together. And so from a church perspective this morning, I want us to to kind of put aside all the worldly aspects of winning, right? Win at all costs. If if, if you've got the, the motor, the drive for it, that's not your fault. Take advantage of that. Right? Even, even, even the world will tell us to, um, to, um, to take advantage of other people's um, weak, weaknesses or other people's um, low moments in life. But to look out for other people, not just our friends and our family, but to look out for people who will become that because we are trying to push everyone toward victory. Everyone toward, toward victory, not just ourselves, but our community. The failure to embrace success means that we have to see success from different eyes. We have to finish reading the Matthew chapter 25 verses. In verse 24, the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put the money in the, on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would, have, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The failure to embrace success is that we fail to take God seriously in what he commands of us. He gives us gifts and abilities according to um, where we're at in our lives, according to our, our, um, um, how, how how he blesses us, how he chooses to bless us in that time. And that may be according to our spiritual maturity. It may be according to our biblical knowledge. It may just be according to how we can see our own gifts on this world as God's and not our own. It may not have anything to do with how well you know the Bible yet or how often you go to church. We see good people all the time doing things for others that aren't godly people. Well, God is saying good people are good, but he wants them to be godly. He wants them to use their gifts and abilities toward his kingdom purposes because God will make a decision. God will make a decision at judgment. And it will be based on our effort. So our failure to embrace success is important for us to think about. I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3. It's just a, a passage in scripture. And it's really going to lay out some, um, some indicators of success. And these are the indicators of success, godly success. Ones that will let us push each other towards victory this morning we're going to talk about. If we see success there in red, it says start where you are. Understand who you work for. Care about others. 
Character counts. Expand my gifts through learning. Strive to exceed expectations and sacrifice my will for his work. And for those of you who are thinking, oh man, that is a lot to cover in one day. We're going to move quickly, but, but, but keep this godly perspective. So we're going to start where you are. It is important for us to understand that we all have gifts. And my gifts may not match those across the aisle or the person I'm sitting beside. And, um, and, I, and I think it's a blessing that my gifts don't match Lord Beth's gifts and Lord Beth's don't match mine. Because that gives us an opportunity to do twice as much together. And as a congregation, if we see our gifts as personally the ones that we're responsible for, but collectively ones that we can celebrate in, then we'll sing and dance all the time. Am I right, church? It won't be so overwhelming to figure out how we're going to reach the lost or how we're going to save our own children or how we're going to keep our marriages together or how we're going to, uh, we're going to reach uh, mission points across the world. All we're going to have to do is take care of ourselves and grow in that and work together as a congregation of body believers. And we start where we are. We see power in that. So since you, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. That's where we begin. Colossians chapter 3 and the first three verses as we have to take account our hearts and where our hearts are. And then in the, the gifts and abilities, the resources you have in your life, what does your heart say about those? If you look at Christ and his interaction with people, the rich man comes to Christ and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Right? He doesn't need to follow the law anymore. He needs to give his riches to the poor because that is where his heart was. Okay? So the heart matters. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Your heart and your mind should be focused on things that are living, that will be eternal, and not things that will be moth, uh, destroyed by moth and rust here on the earth. So we have a responsibility to set our minds and our hearts on things above, things in Christ Jesus. And if we look to Christ Jesus, he's going to give us a really good example of what those things are. If you look in the, in the New Testament scripture, you're going to see plenty of opportunities where Christ, Jesus himself, responded to people, responded to their shortcomings, responded to opportunities to, um, to be tempted with things that we're tempted with, and he responded in the right way every time. So if you're looking for directions, look to Christ. He's going to show you. Understand who you work for. It's okay to, to, to understand where we begin, and then I'm going to start with my heart and my mind, and I'm going to have that in the right place. But if that just directs my success back to myself, then I'm a failure in the end, because I need to understand who I work for. If we continue later in Colossians, it says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will, you will not receive an inheritance from the Lord as, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. We have a number of opportunities to be successful in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our jobs, in, in some of us in our sporting events, some of us in our hobbies, we find our success and our self-worth. And if those things aren't directed back to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will regret the time and the, and the energy and the effort that we put into those things because they will not produce success. It is not about my success or worldly success or even the percentage gained in Matthew. It's not about the one who, who, who went from 5 to 10 or from 2 to 4. It's about the effort and the heart and the mind. 
If your heart and mind are set on godly things, your success will be measured in godly ways. But even godly people set their heart and mind on worldly things and try to find success there. And I believe, if that remains, that at judgment, God may look and say, you have done all the things to be a righteous person except set your heart and mind on me. And you've let your riches be more important than the poor in your community. You've let riches be more important than the people that sit across your aisles. So understand who you're working for. Understanding who you're working for gives you a perspective on things that are way, um, way beyond what you can even do. It should put a smile on your face. It should create joy. It should create singing and dancing in your life because you are a winner. Victory is already yours. All you have to do is continue to push forward and cross the line. Not first, cross the line. And for those of you who are struggling and the line seems like it's, it's moving in reverse and you're not moving in the right direction, we need to push each other toward that direction to not only guide those who are believers, but those who don't yet believe that God is in them. Because we are more than conquerors, Romans 8, because of our faith and belief in God. And if we can faithfully believe in each other, that we're going to support each other in that journey, we are powerful conquerors here on this earth. And we are a minority in our world. The religious believers in God that, um, that believe that our wealth is not our own, and that our power is his, and that our purpose is his, and our prestige is his. That's not a popular standard. There are a lot of, um, of churches out there that, that will tell you that those things should be ways in which we see God loving and showing us his favor, and that's not the case. That takes someone who is the one-bag person who's struggling in life, but see that one gift, and that, that tells them that God doesn't care about them as much as he does the, the five-bag person. And that's not the case. God cares about each of those people equally and gives them the same victory and the same reward, even though what they do, what they produce, their percentage gained, doesn't match. Even though some show up at the field to work all day and the others show in up after lunch, he still gives them the same pay. That, that, verse, that, that, that story still makes me mad because I'm not wired that way. I wasn't taught to be lazy and I don't think you were either. I think sometimes our world just lulls us into sleep. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel good. And we say, well, if I'm not feeling good, then what do I need to do? Maybe I need to earn more. Maybe I need to buy something. Maybe I need to eat more ice cream. I don't know what it is, but there are things in the earth that tells us that we can feel good. No, we need to serve Lord with all of our heart and with all of our mind. Serving God by caring for others. If you understand your gifts and you understand the kingdom focus and you're pushing toward heaven yourself and you don't care about others, that's no place for you. Heaven is no place for you. Heaven is not full of people who care about themselves only and not about others. In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was clear to talk about those people who were only caring about themselves or their tribe above everyone else. And says, told them, you know the law. You're following the rules. But you don't care about other people. Your heart isn't in it. Colossians tells us in verses 12 through 14, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if you have any agreements against someone. 
Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you or forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, because without love, none of those others even make sense. You can be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient, but without love, you are nothing. You're just a bunch of noise. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And right, and I wish I would have highlighted right here in the middle, folks, I'll, I'll give you this. Bear with each other. Bearing with each other through this process. And it's not just the first time that someone wrongs you, but the next time, because there will be a next time. And maybe not you personally, but someone you care about. Or maybe not someone you care about, but someone in your community. We're going to have to bear with each other as we learn these lessons. Because we're not always kind or compassionate or humble or gentle. And God knows I'm not patient. So love me anyways. And bear with me. But teach me how to be those things in love. We have a responsibility to care for others. Caring for others is important. But if they see your character and it's not the character of Christ, then what have you really done for others? What do we do for others when we show them we love them, but we don't show them Christ in love? Our character counts. Verses 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature. And these may not match you. You may not, sexual immorality may not be your thing. Impurity or lust or evil desires, but maybe greed is. And maybe greed isn't an issue, but lust is. Maybe it's idolatry, and I don't worship an idol. I don't have a statue. I don't have some graven image carved that I'm bowing down to, but do you? Do you check your phone often because you care about what people think about you? Do you start your morning off with the news because you want to know what the, what the political pundits and what the weatherman says before the God of all creation who sets weather into action? Do you, do you go to those people first before you go to the one who created it all? Those things will create, or those things cause, those things are, are uh, reasons why the wrath of God is coming. And not because you have done those things once. It's because people live in those things. The wrath of God is not coming to those whose hearts and minds have become or are learning to be set on things above. The wrath of God is coming to people who are living in those things because that's where they find their success. And people in our world find success in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed and idolatry. If you get online, the most successful people, the most successful websites, the most successful industries in our world are found in those things. And it is absolutely disgusting. And our news isn't doing anything about it. And our world isn't going to do anything about it. Because there's a lot of money to be made in taking advantage of people's lives. And pornography, and sex trafficking, human trafficking, and things that we don't want to agree that, are, that exist, but they are real. You step outside of this blessed nation just for a moment and see how this affects the rest of our world, and it will absolutely disgust you that people who call themselves Christians sit back and do nothing. The wrath of God is coming for those who don't believe in God, but it is coming for those of us who call ourselves godly and refuse to put to death the things of this world. And not just in our own lives, but I feel like we have an opportunity to be advocates and engage in the poverty that we see in the world, to do something about it as a congregation. You used to walk in these ways in which you once lived. 
but now you must rid yourself of those, of those things. And here's the list that hurts a little more, right? Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Don't lie to each other. Maybe you're not into all those terrible, disgusting things that we talked about in the last one, but I get angry. And we drive, we have, we have a serious roundabout. Hopefully you guys missed the roundabout. There's a lot of traffic right now, but it, it promotes a lot of filthy language in our community that I wish wasn't true, but it's true. And I wish I didn't hear it, and it's not coming from my vehicle, but it's being shouted from the vehicles around me at times, and we just try to, maybe I need to have this verse um, posted on the back of my truck, right? We have, we have a different perspective, church. We can't avoid conforming to the world unless we compare it to the values of Christ. You can't avoid conforming to this world, church, unless you compare it to the values of Christ. And if we refuse to look at Jesus Christ in our world and sort out the differences, and we say, well, our world is good, and we're blessed, and we're wealthy, and we're happy, so God must love the world that we live in, that is not true. And Jesus Christ backs that up with how he lived his life and how he dealt with people, good people in the world. Not just unrighteous people, but good people who had their values mixed up. And Jesus' ministry was mostly responding to people who called themselves Christians whose values were mixed up. So church, it's possible that you're here just mixed up this morning. You're trying to sort out what it means to be a Christian in this world. And some of us are just trying to sort out what it means to be me in this world. A world that promotes and values being whoever you want to be. And having the right to choose that. God sets specific values and compares those to Christ. Expand your gifts through learning this morning. We have some teachers in the audience and some that I respect very much for their efforts of education. And learning is important. And if those teachers were to talk to us adults who have been out of school for a while, they'll tell you, never stop learning. Never stop learning. Because if we stop learning, we stop valuing the expansive nature of God's gifts in our lives. We must expand our gifts through learning. In in verses 9 and 10, the same chapter, since you've been taken from your old self with its practices and you put on the new self, you've gotten rid of all those disgusting things and even those things that are not so disgusting in our world, but we now know that they're bad. Now we're renewing our minds, renewing in knowledge the image of the Creator. What happens when we have things that define us Anger, malice, wrath, sexual immorality, greed, whatever those things are, they're a part of our lives, and when we remove those, what do we have to do? We have to replace those with something godly. If you don't replace the, the ugly with something beautiful, if you don't replace the, the, the worldly things with something that the Creator gives us, then we're not going to renew. We're going to relapse. You know what it means to relapse? To say, I'm never going to do something again, and then fall back into it again. Why? Because we never changed our habits. We never changed our environment. We never changed where our mind is, and we never focused on anything above. We allowed the world to continue to focus, or our world, our, our focus to continue to be on the world and the world around us. And so we never took a breath from all the d- discussion and d- the destruction and death around us to see that our Creator has something new for us. A renewed knowledge of something better. Strive to exceed expectations. Now this 
hits in Matthew chapter 25. The guy with um, the, the least amount was disappointed with the master, not because he had less than the other guys. It's because he didn't try to do anything with it. And why? Because he was scared. He was afraid. There is no fear in Christ, church. Say that. There is no fear in Christ. Say one more time. There is no fear in Christ. And so if we have no fear in Christ, we should strive to exceed the expectations that are found in the freedom of Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about the master being disgusted or angry or disappointed in us because he has given us a different expectation. He's shown us love and action through Jesus Christ. He's shown us forgiveness and grace and mercy in a way that we can't fully comprehend. But if we're renewing our mind and our knowledge of God, then those things will become apparent to us and give us reason to sing and dance, church. Strive to see the expectations. In verses 15 and 17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since you're members of one body called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, or songs from the Spirit. I'm getting the King James on you. Be careful. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I've heard that verse so many times in my life. And we've allowed that to be our safety net for worshiping non-instrumental church, and that's, that's fine. It's part of that, right? You can, you can go there if you want to, but if you leave it there, you've lost its purpose. The message of Christ is to dwell in you as we teach and as we encourage and as we warn or admonish those who are around us with all wisdom through songs which happen to teach the the message of Jesus Christ and hymns and songs of the Spirit, but with also gratitude in our hearts. We have to understand that bearing with one one another is a process. We also have to understand that to exceed expectations, we have to look at this beyond just what we do here in this building. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We may be good singers. We may be good encouragers. We may be timely admonishers when we're here together. But sometimes we forget that we're still together when we're not in this building. Sometimes we forget the names of those who watch online because we haven't seen their faces. And sometimes we just forget to check when you miss someone for two or three weeks. If you ever get a letter in the mail from the church and says, hey, we've missed you, it's not because we're trying to necessarily keep tabs on you. We want you to know that you matter. We want you to know that you matter. But I'd like to to take this a step further, church, as we always do. The invitation we offer is not just for here, and it is a chance for us to respond, to become a Christian, to live in a godly way, to to deal with things that were sins in our lives. But it's also an opportunity to respond in our community. And not just to family and friends, but to all the world, because we care. And we show that in all things, in whatever you do whether in your words or your actions. Sacrifice my will for his work. So in everything, that means wives submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. 
husbands and wives, parents and children, workers to your boss, in all things, consider yourself less in those scenarios so that you can lift each other up. Don't just do things to, to gain favor, but do it from sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord, because in those moments, in my words, in my actions, those I will be judged by God. Not just these moments. These are the easy moments, church. For those of you who have been here, those of you who have grown up in this, this is muscle memory. It's probably a little more awkward for someone who's here for the first time, or maybe someone who's visiting and seeing this scenario, how we worship differently than maybe their own. But a sincerity of heart found in reverence to the Lord through sacrifice. Sacrifice shows love, obedience, and humility, which are all characteristics of Christ. Love, obedience, and humility. Christ loved those who loved him. Christ loved those who didn't. Christ was obedient to God and in obedience to even those who were not loyal to God. He sacrificed himself on a cross, not because God's laws mandated it, but man's laws did. And he was humble to be a servant, not just to wash the feet, but to die for people who do not deserve that sacrifice. This is a big one. This is one uh, from the book that I was reading. We've been, we've been talking about upside-down spirituality. Our ego-driven efforts can quickly rename sin into ambition. In a world driven by success, sin becomes success. Our ego-driven efforts can quickly rename sin into ambition. In a world driven by success, sin becomes success. So what ambition do you have that's not found in God that can turn into sin? That's a lot. You may be ambitious about a new love in your life, but if it's not your first love, it's not your love. It's not your place to love. If it's outside of your marriage, it doesn't matter how sweet the conversations are or how pretty the interactions are. If it's not your first love, it's not meant for you. In your jobs, you may give up a lot of your Christianity in your normal world to earn money. You may accept a lot of things that are unfavorable to God and justify it as ambition, and it's really sin. How are our acts, our, our deeds, and our words matching up to who we believe we are created by in our work relationships? In our friendships, sometimes we say, well, I'm trying to... I'm trying to be funny or I'm trying to make a joke and we say things or do things that are not godly. And in our ego-driven efforts to be funny or to fit in, it becomes sin. You even notice it in your own children. Sometimes they say, they say things and they repeat things. They use the Lord's name in vain. You say, where did you hear that in our world? Who says there's nothing wrong with that? And to God, it is sin. Sin never wants to be sin. It always wants to be righteousness, is what Martin Luther said. Think about it. You never want to be a sinful person. But you desperately, in sin, you desperately want it to feel righteous. So we justify it. We convince ourselves that it's okay. And we find support from it in our world. And we say, you know what? My preacher's just old and outdated. And he's reading from a book that doesn't, it doesn't mean what it says. 
It doesn't match our culture. And I say, you are right. I am old and outdated. And, and you are right. Our culture doesn't match the Bible. And it's not supposed to. Man's wisdom is foolishness or folly. And God's wisdom is truth. We talked about that at the beginning of this um, series, that success and failure depend on how we look at God's wisdom above our own. And our world will try to convince us that sin is not as bad as you think it is. It's just love. Let people love how they want to love. Let people live how they want to live. Let people worship how they want to worship. Because they love God. How does God say we should live? How does God say that we should love? How does God say that we should worship? So if we want to review why we worship the way we do, that's fine. If we do that in God's love, through his word. But don't let the world decide that for you. Our one simple truth this morning as we close. Success in the church is guaranteed by God. It's guaranteed. Success in the church. And I'm not saying success in this church. That is not what this says. It does not say success in this church. Not because you're a member here or you show up at a church with the same sign does it mean that you're going to be guaranteed success by God. Success in the church lived by Jesus Christ, modeled today by his name, in love and obedience and humility and patience and kindness and gentleness. That is where success is found. And our world will tell us, you'll never be successful by those standards. And I'll tell you, in Romans chapter 8, and verse 17, children of God are called heirs. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 4, you get an imperishable inheritance that will not fade. Colossians 1 and verse 12 says, a shared inheritance of the saints. Ephesians 1 verse 8, verse 11, verse 14 refers to that same inheritance shared by the saints. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 says, Abraham's descendants, those who belong to Christ, will inherit the kingdom of God. So if you understand what the kingdom of God is, you'll understand something about success. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance, verse 24 in Colossians chapter 3, from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord whom you are serving, which we've already discussed. So the fine line between success and failure, it's on you. God has already given us success. Victory is ours. We are free in Christ if we identify as Jesus Christ. And not just by taking, making the decision to become a Christian, but choosing in our words and in our deeds, in our actions and what we say to live like Christ. And to, and to look at success from a different standpoint than what the world tells us. And part of that church this morning is that I'm here to push you across the line. I'm not here to beat you up. Because I beat myself up daily. It is tough. It is tough being a Christian in this world. But together, we are stronger. We've not learned that already, church. We've been there for a while. So push each other across the line. Parents, continue to push your children. Right? And children, continue to push your parents. We just discussed this morning the importance of, of, of acknowledging that we are in a stage where we're going to be taking care of our parents through tragedies, through unforeseen circumstances. That we're going to have to, to come together as families to support the needs of our parents. We are a congregation that that is an evident fact.
and not just from our leadership, but for our ministers as well, we have a responsibility. And with, Lord, the responsibility of the world seems like it's on your shoulders in Haiti, does it not? God has already given Haiti victory, am I right? He has. And Whittler could do all the things that he can put his mind to and his heart to and his finances to, and he will not be able to save the situation in Haiti. Only God can through Jesus Christ. So this morning, church, if you're lost and looking for a way, the signs are confusing and you think you're not going to cross the line, it's here in the waters of baptism. It's here in salvation that's offered and it's eternal. And it's here in the fellowship of believers to have a perspective on things that are beyond this world, above this world, and better than this world, and to give us hope of something greater. I'm excited this morning for the opportunity to speak on success and failures. I'm more excited that as we learn these things again, and I don't think this is something new to us, I think this is renewed knowledge. We are victorious, we are conquerors, we are capable, and we are weak at times, and we need each other.